Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the No Lasting City podcast. I'm Scott Corion, and I am your host. And joining me again uh, is my friend J.C. Basinger, pastor of Hope Community Church in Queen Creek, Arizona, fellow church planter. J.C., thanks for uh, joining me again today. No problem, man. Good to be back on the podcast. Yeah, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. This is the the second episode where we're going to focus on uh, deconversion and the deconversion narrative that's going on in our culture right now. Our first episode, uh, if you didn't listen to that, I'd encourage you listening to that first. But we just talked uh, in general about why this is important and some of the things to listen for as we hear deconversion stories. And this episode, I really want to focus a little bit more on on what, as I said in the first episode, got me interested in this topic, which was someone asking me about my thoughts on the recent TikTok videos of Abraham Piper. Uh, and again, if you if you don't know that name, that's John Piper's son, which is partly why I think this got s- uh, such media press is because of his father's prominence as a pastor and Christian leader. Uh, but but he in the last couple of months has been posting short videos that have been highly critical of Christianity. He's gotten a lot of followers on TikTok and the New York times last month even uh, ran a story on, on uh, his, some of his comments. So it's gotten a lot of publicity. And so we talked in general last episode, this episode wanted to get more specific at looking at some of the, some of the things that he has been saying that has garnered this attention. So that's what we will jump into. So maybe, and, and let me say, and, and JC, I want you to chime in on this, but I, I went back and I watched, I don't know, probably 20 to, to 25 of his short videos on TikTok uh, related to Christianity. Uh, he has videos that have nothing to do with that at all. Uh, and one of the challenges I think of a, of, of a medium like TikTok is it's really hard I mean, it's just not a a, a a medium that allows you to really have any kind of dialogue or really even develop a thought because it's 30 to 45 seconds. And so it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly all that his deconversion entails or, or what specifically is his problem or number of problems. I, I do know, and this is this is public knowledge, I do know that you know, as a teenager, he was excommunicated from, from his dad's church at 19. And then at some point, a few years later, was welcomed back into the church, came back to faith, and then apparently at some point left again. So his, his struggles with faith have, have been an ongoing issue, I guess is my point in bringing that up. Uh, but I, I found it difficult to, to find you know, unifying themes to the deconversion that he's experienced, at least from his videos on TikTok. I mean, what was your experience listening to some of those? It's almost like he's taken every deconversion story and is making a TikTok video on them, right? The the various reasons for people uh, leaving the faith, the uh, ex-evangelical movement. It's like he's taking whatever uh, story those and people leave for different reasons, right? So one may be the problem of evil, another may be um, lack of social justice movement in the church they were at, um, being what he would call 
uh, Christian fundamentalists. So we've kind of taken a grab bag of, of different um, narratives and compiling them together on these different videos. Right. And the other thing that I, I saw him post a few videos on is that he he wants he's trying to be very clear that, yeah, I'm not an evangelical Christian, but don't label me anything else. So I'm not an atheist. I don't call myself an atheist. Uh, I, I'm just I'm just nothing. And I, I'm just not that. And so he doesn't really give any kind of clarity to where he's landed on any of this stuff. Maybe he just hasn't landed. But but I found that interesting as well. Right. I, I, you know, don't, don't label me anything. Cause I don't label myself anything. Right. And it seems that, um, you know, he is attacking or having these TikTok videos on a, a specific, I think, segment of Christianity. So again, it's not all of Christianity. It's uh, a particular stream of Christianity is how it seems. Right. No, I t- totally, uh, totally agree with that. I want to talk about that, actually. So let me maybe to get this started. I- I'll read just a- two sentences from this New York Times article that came out last month. And because uh, it highlights at least their understanding of what his what some of his problems are. So here's from the New York Times article. Uh, his post that is Piper's post more than 300 videos to date tackle the idea of a literal hell. Uh, tackle the idea of the evangelical conception of God, which he says, quote, is an unequivocal thumbs down, end quote, and uh, deal with the absurdity of youth group mission trips, uh, which he calls a white savior's evangelical vacation that other people pay for, end quote. And actually, in the in the New York Times article, that's about as specific as uh, they get at identifying you know, what his, what his issues are. Uh, so I think even, even they couldn't really put their finger on um, exactly what are all the streams that, that led to his deconversion. I would say uh, a couple things that, that seemed to come back again and again uh, was that, it, and, and to, to your point, point, JC, he clearly views evangelical and what he calls fundamentalist Christianity as extremely narrow-minded and anti-intellectual. And uh, there's a quote from one video where he says, fundamentalism is bizarre and anti-intellectual. So, so there it is. And I think you're right. He, he wants to make the case that not all Christianity is like that, and, and I'm just rejecting this, this fundamentalist version of it. And as far as I could tell, J.C., when he uses that term fundamentalism, what he means is people who take the Bible literally. Uh, I, I, I think that's kind of at least part of his definition, if not all of it. People who really take the Bible, uh, to use his word, literally. Did you, did you pick up on that at all? Absolutely. I think that raises another question is, is what does it mean to take the Bible literally? Like when we when we say that or... His definition of taking the Bible literally may be different than how you or I would say, and we would both say that we take the Bible seriously, it's authoritative, it's inerrant, infallible. But really, what what do we mean when we say, yeah, the Bible is our authority? And what are we taking literally, you know, you get in the genre and all these other host of of issues. So not to nuance it too much, but um, yeah, the he is against 
what what I see is um, he's equating a biblical ethic, what we would call a historic Christian ethic, with fundamentalism and biblical literalism. I think he's conflating um, some things with that statement. Yeah, I think part of it, I think part of his understanding of what it means to take the Bible literally is have an authoritative Bible, a Bible that it is an authority in all that it says, what you just said, infallible, inerrant. Um, and he's got some some problems with that. And yeah, I agree. That I mean that that's actually a very nuanced discussion, which is which is part of the challenge of these deconversion stories. You get the it's easy to to have a sound bite where you attack the idea of taking the Bible literally and you read a verse which totally out of context, which sounds, you know, you, as uh, I used to say in my, in, in, to my, uh, my, my last church, it, you can make the Bible say anything you want. If you, if you, if you Absolutely. just read random verses right. and take it out yeah. of context, you could, you can, you can, you can make it sound kind of, kind of strange. And people have done that. Uh, but, but how to read and interpret the Bible is uh, is actually very nuanced, and and uh, and so you just wonder what's behind that, and if there's been any kind of helpful discussion about. Because I I do think there is an unhealthy way to take the Bible literally. You probably do too. Absolutely, JC. yeah. And I think um, part part of the reason is they've seen some of these people have probably experienced a unhelpful reading of the Bible or interpretation of the Bible where it's interpreted in a very narrow literal way and not in a theological helpful way. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I remember, I think it was RC Sproul who's done a lot of good work on this over the decades. Um, You know, to take the Bible literally means we lead it, read it as literature and uh, read it in the genre for which it was intended to be. Um, And that doesn't always happen uh, the nuances of that in evangelical churches. I mean, I, I do recognize that. And one of the other things that uh, I, I found uh, that he kept coming back to in these videos again and again was that he he very obviously, and of course the New York Times quotes him as giving the evangelical God an unequivocal thumbs down. And what seems to really be bothering him, um, at, at least, and there were there were several videos that uh, it, that he he kept coming back to, just the idea of a God who would judge people and the idea of hell, uh, the idea of a literal hell uh, for him. And I, I saw him references a few times. You know, any God who would judge people in that way can't be a good God, and so. He didn't quite put it that way, but that's basically what he was saying. If hell is, is real, then uh, this God is not good, and I can't believe in a God like that. Uh, only an evil God would 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 have something like this. And so, th- there's definitely an attack on the on the traditional character of of God as as we understand Him and the and the justice of God and the judgment of God. Did did uh, did you hear that as well, JC? Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I was, was it 2010 or 2011 when Rob Bell with his book, Love Wins, and that's probably for quite some time the first popular evangelical at the time book released on on the idea that um, a loving God 
would never send anyone to hell um and that the the way that evangelicals see god is, is a god who's good and a god who's all powerful um how could that god allow anyone to to suffer um, eternal punishment so starting with rob bell and then definitely um abraham piper has taken up that mantle with his his following and is you know it's not new ground he he's treading i mean this is probably since the beginning of the church this this question has been um, asked so it's just he's got such a large following and a, and a voice on social media that um, it's being asked again yeah no i think you're right this is a this is a an old question and an old issue and one that's been raised for for you know generation after generation so why don't why don't we talk about that a little bit jc i mean you have have you gotten the question and how, how would you you know, talk to someone who was asking questions about God's character and, you know, how, how could a good God do this? And, and, and I guess, I guess maybe the bigger question is, you know, wh- why is it good that God is a God of justice and, and has judgment? Yeah. Well, that question has come up and um, my kids are, or at least my oldest is a little bit older than your, yours. Uh, my oldest son is 16 that's because you're much older than me, JC. Just point exactly, that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think two um, months, maybe. Age before beauty. Is that is that the saying? Something like that? Uh, <laughs> um, so he's 16, and he is asking those questions because he's, he has those questions. His friends have those questions. So if we believe that God is good and loving – and you know we see ourselves probably falsely as good and loving i would never want anyone to, to suffer so why would a good and loving god want anyone to suffer and i think for me that the answer to that is god loves us enough to punish sin to eradicate evil to eliminate that from the good creation, which he's promised to do. So God in his love is going to make the new heavens and new earth without evil. And in order to do that, you have to eliminate that through his punishment. Um, What are your thoughts? No, no, I, I I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, hell is a difficult doctrine. I I I acknowledge that it it is a um you know it it is a weighty thing, and so I can understand why it's been raised as a, a question um, about God's character and goodness over over centuries. It 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 is difficult, um, but but I think you're right. I, I think uh, we really do, what what I say to people that have joined my previous churches. I run a membership class and. <clears throat> We talk about this, and I'd say at the end of the day, I, I think none of us really want a God who who will not judge the evil in this world. We really want a God who just won't judge our evil, because when you, to your point, when we when we look at the world and all of the horrible things that are going on, um, you know, I, I think the point that the Bible makes that we need to make is a, a God who would just turn the other way, and pretend that that's okay and not deal with that um, 
is not a God that's worthy of worship. Uh, I mean, when we are personally offended, when someone wrongs us, the first thing we want, I mean, you can see it in our culture right now, is let there be justice. We, we want to see the wrongs righted. Um, right. And that's just when someone personally offends us, we immediately want judgment. Uh, we, we want we want that to happen. And and another example I I, I typically use is um, when we were living in, in San Diego, I guess it was about 10 years ago now, there was this really horrid uh, uh, thing that happened right by where our church was and my seminary was. And in uh, Escondido, California, where a, a young woman in her teens was basically abducted, uh, abducted and uh, murdered as she was out for a jog. And, and it, it was one of these stories that just got a lot of press. It galvanized the community. And uh, they did find the guy who did it. And he was tried and eventually uh, uh, convicted. And I, and I used to say to people, so what do you think would have happened if, if the judge in this case, when there was, he was clearly guilty, there's all the evidence, just let the guy go. I mean, do you think people would have celebrated his grace and mercy? Well, well, no, the judge would have been tossed out. There would have been outrage. The whole community would have been up in arms. A judge who won't deal with right evil is not a judge to be respected or, or honored. Um, and so why would we expect God to do the same thing if he is the righteous one? And um, there's so much evil out there. So I, I think you know that, and it it is difficult. I I I don't want to acknowledge. Or I want to acknowledge that uh, the the difficulty of the doctrine of God's judgment. But ultimately, I I think we we do understand it. We're wired the same way. We we want to see uh, justice. The humbling thing about that is that means that God must deal with our evil and our sin inside of us, and that's what's uh, that's that confronts us, and that's that's. Um, but but, it, but it's always been the idea that we're sinners has always been a, a difficult part of of the gospel for people to accept, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think just the the point that you you hit on, I think it's so true. It's true. In my own life is I don't want God to look at my own sin and judge me for it. That's really that makes me uncomfortable. You know, I think as Pat, I don't know if you're this way, but. I don't enjoy talking about hell. <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm preaching on, on a text that that mentions it, you know, my natural inc- inclination is like, okay, well, what else is in this passage that we can we can hit on? Because nobody wants to to talk about this, right? But it may be more just my own um, discomfort because you know, if you look at my life, I am worthy of God's condemnation. I'm a sinner in in his eyes. Right. And thanks be to God for for Jesus and his saving mercy. Yeah, amen. There was anything else that's that uh about Piper's specific videos that uh struck you JC before we close out this episode? He hasn't mentioned anything but I'd be curious and I may have to dig on his videos a little bit more if maybe there is a a moral um freedom that he's experiencing in in leaving uh evangelicalism behind or or this version of evangelicalism behind that he's looking forward to um maybe it's sexual ethics or, or something like that to where the the restrictions of scripture he's casting those off and and has a newfound freedom 
Have you stumbled upon that in any of the videos you've watched? Well, not in the videos, but I, I did read some articles on his previous excommunication. And uh, uh, th and this goes back, I don't know, at least 20 years. Uh, I'm not sure the exact timing. but And so he was excommunicated from the church as a teenager and then came back, I think, four to five years later. And there is a quote that I came across from him after he came back where he says, you know, when I walked away initially at 19, I cloaked it with all this intellectual language. Uh, but really, I just wanted to get drunk and get laid. <laughs> to, okay. to your point. I mean, he was open about that, at least as, right. a, as a teenager. And, and, and so I think your point is well taken. A lot There's often something underneath some of these deconversion uh, narratives uh, other than you know, it, it, the intellectual part of it is 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 hiding something else. That's not always the case, but I think it's not always. Yeah, case. definitely. I, I, you know, as, as we've been talking about, I think that's why, as we talked about in the first episode, it's so important to to listen and to ask questions because oftentimes there are deeper questions behind the the front end question. You know what I mean? There, there's uh, deeper issues going on that, um, as Christians and as pastors, we need to. To be aware of that, you know, humans are complicated. <laughs> they're simple, but they're also complicated. So there, there could be a potential of multiple things going on. That um, it takes time, it takes uh, relational care and love to to wade through and to to listen to. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me again, JC. Uh, we will come back and have uh, one more episode on this topic. Well, we're, we're going to focus more on just the the practical questions about uh, that we raised in the the first episode. You know, what what does this mean for our churches? This phenomenon of deconversion. Uh, what does this mean for us as parents? And we'll we'll kind of wrestle with some of those those aspects of it. So, thanks, uh, JC, for uh, joining me Thank today. You. Fun. Join us again next time in our next episode of No Lasting City. Goodbye.